Communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jam Transmissions. I am your host, Mr. Rigby and Weba. This is episode number 133. And I feel like I've done about 800 of these episodes because I've been doing all of these like show recaps for Andor and Bad Batch and everything. But as far as numbered episodes go, this is only number 133. I'm doing this for a long time. A long, long time, uh, it feels like. But it's only been about two years. We're going to get into some podcasting origin stories. Um, and that's right. You heard me say we, because if you listen to the Bad Batch recap I did this week, uh, you know that I have a very special guest with me this week. It is uh, a friend of mine who hates a certain phrase, so I had to kind of switch it up. Um, he is the fella, the fable, the legacy is Mr. John Hoey. How are you doing, sir? Uh, Rick, it's uh, it's an honor to be here with you. It's good to see you, man. It's been uh been a while since i've seen your face uh but it's i, I love the sweatshirt you're wearing by the way keep the spirit yeah. alive i make stole it from a hobo for, for everybody who can't see it is the uh, make solo two uh red hoodie that yeah i saw I, from a very fashionable hobo i stole this thing from <laughs> yeah it's good it's really cool to uh be here man uh, thanks for having me i like to uh, love your intro did you make that yourself I did not. That was um, one of the founders of the show, uh, Pete, uh, Peter Viox, uh, when they start, he and the previous co-host, that, that's one of his creations. And I've decided to keep it. Uh, he handed the show off to me and I was like, you know what? It's too good. And uh, Secret's uh, going to be out here. I don't have time to make another one, so I'm just going to leave it. It um, works, though. It yeah, had, it's like, work. It's solid. sort of had that DJ vibe to it. Um, and you've, you know, you've gotten through without uh, the mouse coming after you, which is key. So uh all all things are good <laughs> listen they can send all the lawyers they want i don't care <laughs> bob Iger. i know you're listening i know there's uh no reason to believe that you're not send them send your lawyers yeah. i got uh i got a lionel hutz in my back pocket that'll take care of all you guys rick Nothing will just jam about. all of your transmissions anyway so you're damn right we will jam the <laughs> hell out of them yeah it's good to be um, here thanks for having me on jam transmissions man yeah, well, thanks for coming on. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, trying to map things out. And um, apparently uh, there was a big football game that's more important than talking to me. So I'm going to let that one slide, John, uh, <laughs> this time. <laughs> yeah, we were going to do this uh, a few weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, you know, life happens. You know, I'm not I'm not going to hold that on you. But I know th things get in the way. Um, and uh, sometimes it can be a little difficult to plan how podcasting schedules go. And as scheduling goes for podcasting, you guys over at the Resistance Podcast, um, you guys put out 12 episodes a week, record for nine hours a day. Um, you barely like you you eat through tubes and drink like hamsters because there's no time to right. do anything else except for I don't know. Like you guys don't even have jobs. I heard that's why right. James quit the band. He was like, this is more lucrative. 
Yep. Um, but all, real quick. All true. Yes, all true. I no lies here. Um, what I want to do because I don't I don't know this story. Um, if you can give me a brief history of how you got involved with podcasting and the resistance broadcast. Uh, so I, it's funny. My first foray into podcasting was being a guest on the resistance broadcast mm-hmm. and it was, uh, episode 66. So it was a Palpatine themed episode. Um, and it was just after I started with star Wars Newsnet as a contributor mm-hmm. and it was March, March or April of, uh, 2017. And the host of the time, Pat, asked me to just come on because I was part of the writing staff. And I was like, or I, I expressed interest. I forget what it was. I think they just asked me to come on. And I went on there and it was me sitting on my dining room table with an iPad. And I think I used my Apple earphones, like these things that I'm showing you. Your audience can't see them, but like the classic mm-hmm. Apple headphones that have the mic on it. And away I went. And it was like a four hour, just like, ramble fest there was no like organization or anything and it was like it was like longer than watching the titanic but it was fun <laughs> and then from there james at the same time uh also had been doing guest spots on the show and i remember hearing one of the episodes and really liking what how he sounded and what he had to say and then eventually we got on the same episode together and then i think it was one of those things where it started sort of evolving and he and I sort of um, like the site owner for Star Wars Newsnet, Val, wanted us to sort of reboot the podcast and make it more like legitimate and with structure and, you mm-hmm. know, be more entertaining in terms of like segments. And so we had so all these ideas. Nothing at all like, like what I'm doing here right now. No, I mean, I like I like <laughs> I we're going to we'll see what we get into here, Rick. But yeah. um, long story short, James and I sort of took that over. And then a year later, Lacey joined us and Pat and Bill left um, to do other stuff. Bill has his own podcast and Pat just wanted to just do other things with life at the time. So then it wound up being me, James and Lacey. And it's been the three of us ever since for the last uh, six years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And that's the that's the most important part. Like if you if, if you if you're not enjoying talking about Star Wars and you're doing something wrong, uh, and I know you like talking about Star Wars and you enjoy it. So uh, I think we're on the right track here today. Yeah, the, the whole thing about like podcasting and being a part of the fandom, I know for me, um, was really solidified around Star Wars Celebration Chicago in 2019. And we were just talking off mic about how that would, feels like last week and 100 years ago at the same time. Whew. And if I can tell you a, a little bit of a story about that experience. Um, so... We had, and longtime listeners kind of know some of this, but just to kind of get into it briefly, we did not go Thursday or Friday. Okay. I had another friend, my friend, Tim from the nerd room, um, send me his passes because he was expecting um, his daughter was going to be born around the same time. And they didn't get to me until Friday afternoon. So we had already bought passes for Saturday. um, And the Saturday pass that I had, uh, I gave away. Uh, to a guy who needed an, an extra one. I don't want to get into that whole story, but that's uh, something that I'm somewhat proud of, like the way things, I mean, it, it was a sad story, but the way things kind of uh, turned out um, with all of that. But so the first thing that we did when we got to Celebration 2019 was go to the Jedi Fallen Order panel um, in the big arena. 
And so we were kind of way in the back. We got there a little bit late for that and sat through the whole thing, saw the trailer, saw the Purge Troopers on stage and all of that. It was a great time. As we walked out, we were walking into um, McCormick Place proper. And I remember crossing the street and I see you and James with like throngs of fans, tens <laughs> of people were out there. Now there was a few, you guys were, you were talking to a few people and I had to stop my wife and my son. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. She, she's like, what? I says, I, I got to go talk to these guys real quick. So I go run over and I introduce myself and, you know, we all kind of, we all hugged like we were best friends and it was a, yeah. it was a wonderful meeting. And I was like, all right, well, I got to go I'll catch up with you guys on the floor, on the floor somewhere. And I remember my wife going, is this how it's going to be? What are you talking about? <laughs> and we were so used to, like, I spent a lot of years working in bars, uh, like in my twenties and stuff. And I talked about it on the last full episode that I did. And so there was a, 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 a span of time where almost everywhere we went, um, sometimes even just to restaurants in, in the city in Chicago, like I would be recognized as like, Oh, you're the guy that works at this bar. Oh yeah. I was at the, the thing that night. And for her, it was like a detriment to go out somewhere and have somebody come up and like, Oh man, you play good music or whatever the case is. Cause we just wanted the time for us. And I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, that's like the most humble way of me saying like, I'm not a celebrity, but it, it just would just happen. Um, and so when we got to celebration and I'm meeting people for the first time outside of the online space, you know, kind of face to face, she was like, Oh, there's going to be a bunch of people here that you're just going to go talk to and leave me alone. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to have, it's going to be fun. And, if, you know, as the weekend went on, of course, it was meeting new people and all of that. And we, I remember walking in and meeting somebody else and she was like, oh, my God, here we go. And I'm like, <laughs> babe, I'm sorry. There's like, you know, thousands of people from around the world that are here. And, you know, it's people that I've been wanting to meet and all of that. And But you guys, you and James were the first two that we got to meet, aside from the guy that I gave the ticket to. And it, that was very brief. It wasn't even really like a full meeting. Um, but you guys were the first like proper introduction I had through uh, Star Wars Celebration 2019. So. Oh, for cool, me man. personally, that meeting is pretty is pretty special because it was like the initiation into what like uh, I was going to come to expect for the rest of the celebration, bumping into people, recognizing voices before seeing faces. Oh, was that right? Yeah, because I mean, you think about we listen to these podcasts and a lot of times there's no video and I would hear some, you know, somebody from way off and be like, that sounds like and it would be you know, the guys from black series rebels would be in a line doing something or you yeah, know, something, something cool. like that. Um, yeah, it was a very strange kind of thing. And I mean, it's gotta be weird for you guys too. Cause I mean, we talked about this, you know, this is something that we do as, as a hobby for the most part. And yeah, there can be money involved with like Patreon and, you know, ad spaces for YouTube and things like that. But generally speaking, we're all just people who love the thing enough to want to talk about it publicly. Yeah. And it's got to be a little weird to go out into the world sometimes, go to conventions or whatever, and have people come up. Uh, and especially for you guys with the audience that you guys have grown to now have like uh, like a little mini party at celebrations. You know, like yeah. what happened with Anaheim, you guys kind of rented out that space and have a few hundred people show up for you um, has to be um, like, like very gratifying, but also humbling in the same kind of respect like what's that what does that feel like when you're in the moment doing that kind of stuff the, so yeah so anaheim we we didn't get a podcast stage thing so we're like well we got to do something so then we 
we were like, what's a great idea for this? And we're like, well, breweries are a huge thing, especially out there. So we got that lined up and it was like just a ton and ton and ton and ton of planning and like, like beyond belief it went into making that work and we wanted to make it so that it's close to uh the hotels and the convention because we were nervous that no one was going to want to leave the area and show Mm -hmm. up there so we did like an rsvp list to get like a sort of pulse of like how many people would show up and stuff and we were feeling good about that uh, but we got to a certain number so it wasn't gonna be one of those things where we're live streaming this thing because we wanted to make sure that all of our audience who, uh, you know, because not everyone can go to celebration, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to go to celebration. So we wanted to make sure we could live stream that so that we could bring them into it because we don't like anyone ever feeling left out. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really bad if we're just sitting up there on these stools with an empty lot at the back of this brewery. So, uh, but when we started getting going and people were there and you just see people talking to each other that know each other, because of this podcast, it is wild. And like, you know, four of them road tripped out there together. They roomed together. And it's like, it gets to a point where like, after we did the podcast, like we're standing around hanging out. And it's not one of those things where like, you know, they feel like they need us or something to talk to us. Like they're just hanging out. And it just became like this sort of like, we call it a found family. And it really is. And I think it's, you know, it's really special because I looked out in the crowd at the end of that thing when I held up this picture that my son drew for me before I left and I saw a five-year-old kid and a 70-year-old woman and people of all different races, creeds, you know, lifestyles, everything all there together just because they love Star Wars and they happen to like our podcast for some reason. And I'll never forget that part of it. Um, and we take a lot of pride in being able to be accessible to everybody because you know, everyone likes Star Wars and I'd like to, you know, one day for my kids to be able to listen to my pod and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just really cool to see people come together. And it was, uh, it is humbling for sure. Um, but it's, uh, it's just a really good feeling to have people who like the same thing and know that when you try to explain it to people who don't get it, who don't love Star Wars or something, I keep it so brief with people ask me like, so you do a Star Wars podcast? Like, what do you do? And I'm just like, you know, man, you, mm-hmm. I, I could I could explain it as hard as I could, but you're going to just be like, oh, OK. But if you get it and you love it, then you're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I 100 percent same. I mean, with with my line of work, you know, I, I, I have a construction job. So, I, you know, I'll work with different people from different trades. And, you know, I'm not especially now living in Michigan, like I don't go out and hunt. I don't play hockey. I'm not. You know, there's just a lot of stuff that I don't do that are very normal for here. Um, and well, people say, well, what do you do? I'm like, well, you know, I have this podcast. What do you talk about? What Star Wars? Excuse me, what? Is always kind of the reason. Like, right. What What do you talk about? How long have you been doing this? And you like, you always feel like, well, yeah, for us, we're so entrenched in it. It's really easy sometimes to have conversations. It might be hard to come up with a topic if you're, if you're trying to get into a show because you don't want to you know, repeat something somebody else has done, even though you might have your own take on it. Um, but yeah, I always get this like baffled look of like, really? Like, that's the thing? Like, yes, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a almost 45 year old man and this is what I do for fun. And you're right. I've worked with one or two people who want to, they just get it, who have said, send me a link. I want to check it out. And then I get other right. people that are like, bro, you got the plague. I'm never talking to you again, dork. You know right, what I mean? Like you right. get that, that kind of attitude from people. Um, 
Are they but even is... making any more movies? What do you even talk about? You know? Yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, all right. All right. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. Or or it turns into I had one guy uh, who was like started railing on, you know, the sequels. And it was like and it was a guy who admittedly was like he named some of the talking heads in like the YouTube space. And I was like, oh, I see your point of view. And would sit mm-hmm. and listen and have the conversation and say like, well, you, yeah, Mike, you do know that there's a lot of grifting that goes on in that. And he's like, no, I know, I, I know, I know. And it's like, eh, do you? Or have <laughs> I just kind of broken your brain a little bit and you're just, you don't want to admit to it. So either way, to each his own, I'm not trying to tell people how to think about the thing, but it's just, you know, when you can have good, lighthearted, fun and insightful conversations uh, and sometimes very real conversations too about how, these fandoms affect us in our real lives and kind of shape um, who we become as people. I mean, that's something that we've been really open with on this show, even with my prior co-host Pete. And, you know, one of the episodes we did that we released a few weeks ago was about mental health in star Wars. And I want to really quickly bring up um, Alden Diaz on Octo radio has a really, really fantastic episode right now about depression in star Wars. And I would urge people to go listen to it because as we can have fun and talk about this thing very lightheartedly and make jokes and, and break down movies and things like that, you know, we have to remember sometimes that we are real people using microphones to talk about something that we love. And I would hope, um, and we know that it happens. Like when you look into that crowd of people that goes to a resistance broadcast um, a live meetup or recording that the people that are in the crowd have connected enough to feel open enough with each other that if they, if they are having a hard time, they can reach out to each other. You talk about that found family aspect of it. Um, I know that I've had plenty of conversations with people where I haven't felt great about things and people have kind of um, either lightened my mood or given me a different perspective on it. That's one of the things that I've come to really value about the fandom. Uh, and for me, a lot of that, again, stems from some of the interactions that happened at Celebration 2019. So I think it's important to allow for those kinds of conversations, conversations too, in the podcasting space. So no doubt, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, this, you know, after having kids, you know, I, I like the perspective changes on a, a lot of this stuff, and I think a lot of a lot of people take these movies and this stuff too seriously mm-hmm. to the point where either they stop enjoying it and they don't realize that they don't even enjoy it anymore or they just um i don't know, like take the joy out of it and like there is that balance of like this this means like star wars obviously i have a podcast star wars means a lot to me and it has for a very long time but at the same time i know that it's not everything and that it is entertainment and it's important because it allows me to put the chaos and the stresses and all the BS of real life to the side for a bit. Mm-hmm. And I can go on this adventure and I could find people who also love those adventures and talk to about it with them and find this commonality and all these like little life lessons that George Lucas wanted to paint for kids to like when you're coming of age and you're going through that difficult time in life and stuff like that, you know, which path are you going to choose? And I love that stuff because I think that's good for kids, but I also think as adults, we can not only remember that joy we had as kids going through that experience, but also, you know, experience the new stuff today, like maybe the more serious stuff like Andor and Rogue One. Um, But at the same time, it's all still very Star Wars, which is anybody is able to achieve anything um, and always look to the light 
and avoid the dark. And it's Star Wars is very simple, as complex as it can get, but its basic core values is very simple. And I think if people remember to just enjoy it and step outside of like these little nitpicky bubbles of online discourse and stuff like that, like zoom out and like remember what it's all about. That's that that's what I've been all about the past few years, especially after having kids and like putting life into perspective. Like this stuff's supposed to be enjoyable, supposed to be fun. That's why they make it. And you gotta remember that. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. You know, I can think of you know, when we when I kind of started with the show and kind of you know, me coming into an already established thing in my mindset was um I almost like forced myself to be analytical about things. Like I have to talk about it a certain way. I have to project kind of a certain face to my approach to star Wars. And during the first season of the bad batch was when the show took a break uh, for quite a while. And that was when my co-host decided he wanted to walk away. Um, but it, it then changed my perspective on like, I need to tamper expectations. I need to watch a show like this that wasn't really vibing with me through the lens of my son, who's now 13 and figure out what it is that he's getting out of it. Like what is the enjoyment that he's getting that I'm somehow missing at, you know, 40 something years old that like I kind of wanted, you know? And again, now he's 13. We're watching bad batch season two uh, as the episodes drop and he'll kind of like poke fun at me where one of my issues with season one is that it didn't feel like there was a lot of personal um, character growth. There was a lot of, it felt like it was spinning its wheels to me and the, the characters felt very much at the end of the season where they were in the beginning. And I know that there were changes and things, but just generally speaking, they didn't, there were to me, it didn't feel like there was a lot of change and growth and there was, but just not, there wasn't enough for me. Now this season has it. Um, These last couple of episodes have given us that. And so especially uh, episode nine, the uh, crossing has a lot of that with tech and Omega and a really beautiful scene. So then we finished the episode and my son says to me, uh, well, what did you think? And I said, I'm like, I actually really like this episode. And his eyes went really wide and he goes, I know why character growth. It's all over the show, dad. And I'm like, no, you're right. It is. And it is, it's doing, (laughs) it's doing a better job of it now. So thanks for pointing that out. Um, (laughs) Because what well, I'll do, I'll watch the episodes on my own and then do my quick review. And then he and I will watch it, you know, later on the same day or afterwards. And it, for me, it's interesting to get his perspective on it as, as a person who's not at all analytical about it. For him, it's just another TV show. Um, and I, I like that growing up in and around uh, this thing and then uh changing my perspective through the lens of parenthood and what that's given to me. Um, it's really kind of opened my eyes to these different takes on star Wars. And it's one of the reasons why I do the podcast now, the way that I do is to have different voices come on and talk about their perspectives and how they can frame things in, in their lens too. But your son is still, he's still a little guy. He's only what four. Yeah. Yeah. He's four and a half and he's, you know, he's tried out Star Wars. It's so funny you say that and talk about Bad Batch because every once in a while something will be on the TV that I didn't put on for him. Um, and he's tried to sit and watch Star Wars, but his his attention can only be held for so long and his patience mm-hmm. for only for so long. He's not there. He's not quite there yet 
but he knows the characters. He likes Han and Chewie, you know, that sort of stuff. He has a little toy lightsaber. But for some reason, I, I was watching, I forget which Bad Batch episode it was. <clears throat> I think it was the one, it might have been the one with Chuchi. And he was just standing in front of the TV in our living room and just like, just like watching it. And just like standing there, like he stopped what he was doing and just started watching. And I didn't want to disrupt him. I want to see how long he stood there. Mm-hmm. And he stood till the end of the episode. It was probably about nine, ten minutes. So I'm like, that's interesting because I know he likes animated stuff and the color palettes of like Pixar movies and stuff always seem to keep kids' attentions more than uh, other things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was the the color palette of that particular episode or what have you, um, but he watched it and he like asked me a couple questions about it after. So I'm like, okay. Like, I didn't expect this to be, like, your first, like, I'm interested Star Wars thing, Bad Batch, because I'm not the biggest animation guy. I mean, I like Rebels as my one, and then uh, Clone Wars is uh, a bit further down from Mm -hmm. that. But I still enjoy it, but it's not my favorite. Um, But him liking it, I was like, okay, let's see where we go from this, and, you know, we'll see where it develops. But, yeah, I think he's a little too young at this point, so I'm not sure where your son, like, what age he started getting into it. But he's close. He's getting there. Yeah, it was. I try to think about this. I want to say the first time we watched A New Hope. It was, if I can estimate, I think it was right around April 20th, 2013 was the first time. Yeah, if give or take. Might have been That's like a good two, estimate. Yeah, like 2.30 in the afternoon, I think it was about the time-ish <laughs> that we have it. Uh, the only reason why I know it, it comes up in my Facebook memories because my wife took a picture of us watching it. Uh, and that's cool. I think the image on the screen is, it's Han, but I, I think it's at the moment when he like swoops in to kind of save Luke. I think it's that moment because he's. I think he's doing the like, Yahoo! kind Yahoo. of thing. It's somewhere yeah. around there. Or no, no, it's during the, um, when they get in the turrets in the Falcon. And oh, they kind of okay. like, yeah, that's like the uh, don't get a like, great shot. Don't get cocky kid kind of thing. I think it's that part because it's him wearing he's got the headset. in. Anyway, if I had to guess, I think that's probably the day when uh, that may have happened. So, yeah, he was he would have been three at the time. Wow. And I think Christmas that year is when we watched Empire for the first time. And I, somewhere I have a video of him hearing for the first time the no, I am your father. Um. And he didn't react to it. And he might've still been a little bit young for it, but I remember asking him like, what do you think like about Darth Vader telling Luke that spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen uh, Empire oh, Strikes Back, geez. this 44 with three year old. As you're listening to a star Wars podcast in 2023, <laughs> I hope you've seen people like, nah, I'm not, I'm not really into that original trilogy <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember asking him and he was like, I think, I think Darth Vader's lying. I think is what he said to me. And I like, why would you say that? And he goes, well, he's the bad guy. Bad guys lie. They don't tell the truth. And, you know, then I think we, it was a little while after, it may have been like another week or so afterwards that we watched Return of the Jedi. And of course, you know, Ewoks for like a three, four year old, like that was right in his wheelhouse. But oh, yeah. for, for me too, I mean, I was five when Return of the Jedi came out and like, I was enthralled by all of that. Um, and, it, but you know, for, you know, him going to see force awakens in a theater at five, just under six years old was like, and I, I've told the story on the show a ton of times. Like he was, he was mystified by the crawl uh, at the beginning of the movie. 
like he was already reading well enough and just seeing words on the screen for him was like the most magical thing. And I don't know what it was for me just to have the werewolf all to turn and look at him to see what he was like, how he was absorbing it. And he was like jaw on the floor, eyes were bugging out of his head, leaning forward in the seat, just with the words on the screen and John Williams music was like Dude, Luke Skywalker has vanished. What? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. was way into it. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that whole experience, when when you get to that point and you get to show little Johnny some of these things and he starts having like his own little genuine reactions to it, come back to me because I want to I want to compare notes uh, to where my son was around that Will time do. and, and kind of how Johnny's uh, uh, absorbing all of it. So yeah. outside of Star Wars, obviously, this is the thing that that kind of binds us all together. You know, it's all of that kind of stuff. It's the thing that, that we all connect with. Um, you also have another podcast that you do. Um, that is mm-hmm. just about movies in general, right? Yep. Uh, what's the name of that podcast for anybody out there that uh, does the thing? So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people probably have no idea what it is. It's called Just Like the Movies. Um, I got the name from a line in the Alien Ant Farm song, Movies. Um, and it's okay. me and my best friend, Mike, who lives in Ohio. Uh, so uh, apparently I like podcasting with people from Ohio. I don't apparently know so, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, because James is from Ohio as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's called Just Like the Movies. And me and Mike started doing it during the pandemic just to, like, reconnect more. And we always had these cool, like, fun conversations about old movies and, like, deep cuts and dialogue that we would use in, and out of context and stuff. And I said, dude, why don't we just, you know, talk about these movies we like? And a lot of it is movies we grew up on, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And we just sort of dive into it and have our sort of our chats, but we do it via podcast and to see what people think of it. And it's a lot different from TRB, the Resistance Broadcast. It's definitely explicit and without question. Uh, we let it rip on that one. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. And it's also a bit of a palate cleanser, too, because, I mean, you joked about, you know, we record a billion hours uh with the resistance broadcast but it, we do put a lot of recording in for that and i always felt like teach their own but i think the best way for me to be the best star wars fan i could be is to not give a hundred percent of my every thought into star wars because then i think i would poison my brain and start rewiring it in a bad way mm-hmm. you need that palate cleanser because i have a lot of other interests in life including, you know, obviously being a, a dad and a husband, but I like sports. I like a lot of other movies. I love music. I love playing music. I love playing sports. There's a ton of stuff I'm into. Star Wars is a part of it. Um, but doing this other podcast is definitely a palate cleanser. Like we're, we're, we're going to be doing an episode on the first Scream movie because the new Scream's coming out. And I, I just, I, I love the fact that I'm going to nerd out about that movie that I watched when I was 14 with my best friend. You know what I'm saying? It's just a really good time. And if people listen, cool. Um, but you know, it's not what TRB is in terms of an audience, but it's a good time. And I get to see my best friend every two weeks via like you and I are doing right here. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun, man. It sounds fun. I- I've listened to a couple episodes. I haven't listened to everything. If I'm oh, being thanks, 100% dude. honest. And <clears throat> what I like about like, not so much setting comparisons, but like finding the bridge from one thing to another um it's like star wars for a lot of us is was like an entry point into understanding how movies are made 
um, because there was a lot of transparency with the original trilogy with all these, you know, documentaries and making up things where they, you know, got into like the creature shops and, you know, all the stuff. The J.W. Rinsler books. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I got them over here. So I think what Star Wars afforded a lot of us was like that peek behind the curtain to kind of see how the sausage is made. And it almost, it makes the mythology of Star Wars something almost separate, right? But I think what it did, and and I don't want to speak out of turn, but for myself growing up with the original trilogy, I think it allowed me as I grew up to look at movies through a slightly different lens instead of just engaging with the story. There's a part of me that kind of wants to know who, who had a hand in doing what and what, um, what makes a certain director's fingerprint unique or, you know, a sound designer or, I mean, there was a time I wanted to do like Foley artist in movies. I looked at some schools in Florida and it, that, oh, nice, didn't, yeah, that didn't pan out. I mean, sound is a big thing for me, even though I put no effort into what I do with the podcast. I did go to broadcasting school years ago, but do you walk around your kitchen, like snapping celery as though you're snapping someone's neck and that sort I, of stuff? Know, I'm going to start doing that now. I'm going to like, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> I'm gonna threaten the cats or something. We like this is gonna be you. Just, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was an interest I had, and and I think some of that it was kind of born out of what Star Wars gave us um, through, like I said, a lot of those early documentaries and things like that. Did is you, that did you watch Light and Magic? I did, and I loved it. You know, oh, I I had it, at the beginning of or at the end of um, 2022, a lot of people were you know asking like you know what's your top Star Wars moment of the year. And for me, uh, it was like, it's tangentially related, but like for me, it was getting a better understanding of who Phil Tippett is. That man is my 100% MVP of 2022 with what that documentary did. And I loved every second of understanding his process and who he is like it's, and it's weird for me in the year of Andor, which was the one thing that I have been the most excited about. My number one thing was still understanding Phil Tippett or attempting to understand Phil Tippett because the man's an enigma just in, you know, in and of itself. Oh yeah. It was shocking. Cause like everything we saw to that point, he was very uh, like just on the surface and was like, Oh, he's the stop motion guy. And that's mm-hmm. all people really knew that he was quirky and the stop motion guy, man, he got was like, so like, and you got to give credit to Lawrence Kasdan for getting him to open up um, because he did all those interviews Kasdan, right, you know, right. in addition to, to directing. And uh, by the way, you, I mean, you know me, I got Lawrence Kasdan, the greatest, but um, Phil Tippett was so candid and forthright about his like mental health. And I love the part, I think it was the very end where he's talking about his daughter playing with like yeah. dinosaur toys and something like that. It's just like, it's like, yeah, it's not stupid to do that. Like do that stuff and look, your dad made a career out of it, you know? So I, I, I like, I always try to encourage my son and my daughter, she, she's, just about to turn two she's mm-hmm. just coming into her own to just i want to see them use their imagination without me guiding them you know like if he has a toy like there's no like it, you know like president business in like the lego movie like there's no right way to play with that toy right i want to see what he does with it i want to observe him and that sort of thing and i th- i think that's a lesson that I took away from light magic. In addition to all the nerdy stuff of finding out how these people who shouldn't have had these jobs, got these jobs. And um, just the, the, the renegade rebellious spirit that I think 
like soaked itself into the DNA of Star Wars. Like that original Star Wars will never be replicated because those people didn't really know what they were doing yet. Mm-hmm. And the fact that George Lucas like had the faith in these people and he wasn't like a Hollywood guy. Um, I think that's something to really remember as Star Wars fans. Now that it's this big unstoppable juggernaut owned by Disney and stuff. It's like, yeah, there's people from Lucasfilm still there and they're still great at making what they make. But I think the root of everything is always the most important thing. And I always make this like not analogy, but it's like, as long as Star Wars always keeps at least one hand on the tree, it'll be all right. And that tree is like George Lucas and how, why he made the thing. And Light and Magic was like a nice refresher because I feel like a lot of people sometimes as we move further and further away and all these heroes are passing away of ours. And, you know, thankfully, you know, George Lucas is still here. John Williams is still here. And a lot of the people who made that stuff are still here to talk about it. But we need to document that stuff. It's so important because you don't want to lose sight of why this thing was created. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like I'm I think I'm with you like light and magic, I think was so, so, so important. And that's why that was the most exciting, like the panel I really wanted to be at at Celebration, um, even though Kasdan got COVID and he couldn't be there in person, which bummed me out. But he was there virtually. Um, that was a great panel to be at. And you're right. Phil Tippett, man, like that dude really opened up for people. And I, I admire the hell out of that because, you know, you brought up, you know, people doing podcasts about mental health and stuff. But for one of the guys who is a hero to Star Wars that isn't a household name to just put himself out there is pretty damn awesome, in my opinion. It is. It is. And I mean, it's admirable. And I, there's there's a certain amount of courage that comes with, you know, being willing to talk about that, uh, those kinds of things. And Phil Tippett almost seems like the kind of guy that wouldn't see like the personal kind of bravery in it. It's just like almost like tech, you know, it's just kind of, kind of bare bones of the yeah. way he speaks where it's just like, this is what I'm dealing with. And it's very matter of fact, he injects a little bit of humor when he needs to. Um, but that's just the reality of his situation. Um, yeah. But what I was getting into with all of that and learning a lot of these behind the scenes names who for us kind of become their own celebrity, you know, your Phil Tippett's, your Doug Chang's, these other people who are just as important as the faces on the screen. Yeah. How would you say growing up with Star Wars and learning all of this behind the scenes stuff, these documentaries, how do you think that that has shaped the way you view mu- movies in general in regards to now how you do just like the movies as a podcast and those kinds of discussions. Um, I, yeah, that's a good question because I really think, and I, we talk about this a bunch cause we talk about older movies that it's harder to make movies today than it was then, even though it's easier to make movies today. And what I mean by that is if you have every resource at the tip of your fingers, then you don't need to, come up with solutions anymore and you Mm -hmm. don't need to be as creative to find things it's like and i use jaws as one of my favorite examples it's like the shark kept getting busted up and they wanted the shark to be more visible throughout the movie and it wound up being a blessing that it didn't work because then the shark was this sort of ominous where is it sort of presence that became a more fearful aspect of the film and it wasn't supposed to be that way and if if they made jaws today um 
and Spielberg was making it today, it probably wouldn't be as good of a movie because you would have seen more of the shark. It probably would have been some CG elements into it. And um, it's, you know, it's sort of like, it's a little bit like the criticisms people are making to, to George Lucas with um, the prequels or the special editions where he's like, oh, now I can do this stuff. So now I'm going to, you know, add this. I'm going to add that and stuff. And I still love all of it. The special editions really vaulted my Star Wars fandom, seeing those in the theaters in 97. Mm-hmm. But there's something about not having all the resources at your disposal that leads to finding solutions that are unorthodox and that sort of thing. And then when I apply that to other movies that we talked about in the podcast growing up, like Ghostbusters, we did a podcast about that and like how they had to work around certain things to make things work. I love that aspect of movie making because people look at Hollywood and movies as you know, everything is ritzy and glamorous and everyone's rich and everyone's a billionaire. And it's like, well, hundreds and hundreds of people work on these movies. And sometimes people will just haphazardly just be like, ah, that's Disney bullshit. And that's just like, that's Disney Star Wars. It's like, no, there's like people who work like on sets just with lumber for like months to make a set built just for this and nobody knows who that person's name is and i don't care if people say like well i stay and watch all the credits it's like yeah but you're not reading like you know karen smith or like john johnson's name or whatever like these random people who help make this thing that you love Mm -hmm. like director and the jedi those sets that were built for that octo stuff are out of control and it's like the the Kajini sets for Rise of Skywalker. It's like there's real people who do this stuff there. And I talked to my buddy, and you you know him, Steve Ellis from Black Series Rebels. Yep, he's in the film industry, and he's like, dude, it's he's like one thing people got to remember. It's way it's one of the most blue collar industries when you really get into the proportion of people who are making this stuff. Yeah, there's the the Brad Pitts who hold the golden statue at the end of the day, but there's a lot of people who allow Brad Pitt to be Brad Pitt who just uh you know clock out like fred flintstone and go home at the end of the day and uh and get you know earn their contractor pay and move on to a next gig so i i like looking at it from that perspective and remembering that it takes a lot of people to make movies so long story short i think star wars being so candid in its process like you mentioned um is very important for a lot of people to understand like wow this biggest movie franchise of all time which i still think it is personally uh, was made with real people who maybe did not necessarily know exactly what they were doing, but they had heart and they loved doing what they did. And because of that, we got something special. There's real bricks and there's real screws. Yeah, man. Yeah, there you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Star <laughs> fandom is so oh, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's one of the stupidest things. <laughs> it is. It is. You know it's what so it dumb. is? I I think I've I was. It's going to sound weird, but I was getting out of the shower the other day. And in the shower, I do a lot of thinking because I'm by myself. I, I, all the noises of the world are away. And I was getting out of the shower thinking about it. And I was like, I think I figured something out about this, about the Star Wars fandom thing. And it's like, or any fandom where something's been around for a long time. It's people who think that the old stuff was just so much better and this mm-hmm. new stuff is crap are unable to distance themselves from the eight-year-old lenses that they view that old stuff with. So everything, everyone thinks that everything from their childhood was that much better. And it probably was because they didn't have to deal with adult bullshit. Like they didn't have bills. They didn't have doctor's appointments. They didn't have illnesses or achy knees. And, you know, 
a boss that is a pain in the net, pain in the ass. Like they were just a kid eating cheese doodles, watching a movie, and like they they miss that part of it. And I think that's all intertwined into this like hate for the now because they aren't able to see it from the whimsy and wonder of a kid who doesn't have any like worries or concerns or responsibilities. And they just can't, they can't compartmentalize the difference in how they took something in from as a kid to how they did as an adult. And my best example of this is like, we took our kids to Chuck E. Cheese like a month ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was a kid thinking Chuck E. Cheese was the best place on the planet. And I go in there, I'm like, this place is horrible. (laughs) This is the worst (laughs) place ever. And it's like, sometimes it's okay to be like, you know what? Some of the stuff in The Empire Strikes Back is absolutely ridiculous. And that's okay, man. Like they filmed scenes outside of a hotel door in Norway. It's not that like untouchable, man. So I think sometimes we need to jab at the history once in a while to remember that nothing was ever perfect. Nothing was ever great. It wasn't meant to be thought of as that. And everyone just needs to chill out, man. Yeah. And to, to set another example with that of like the difference in mindset, we, for the first time this week, finally sat down and watched Eternals. And, you know, for the last what year and a half or whatever, since that movie came out or longer, um, all I'd heard was all of these negatives about it. And it's one of those things too, where um, things like Twitter and Instagram, whatever kind of allows for everybody to be a film critic and, or, a critic and an expert, depending on whatever the topic of the day is. <laughs> yeah. So all I had heard was about, uh, well, cinematically, it's a beautiful thing. And, and the sound design is it's wonderful, but they are the acting and it's the pacing. And you hear all of these kind of like technical sounding buzzwordy kind of things to describe people's emotions around it or people's um, uh, breakdown of it, you know, more so. And we watched the movie the day afterwards. I asked my son, I was like, so what'd you think? And he's like, I really liked it. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, what, like, what did you like? And he just kind of, he kind of went into his stuff and um, he has no idea that there was this, you know, kind of discourse around it. Right. And, and I, you know, I started telling him a little bit, I was like, you know, I'm like, you know, I just heard all of these really negative things. And, you know, I'm like, if I, and again, he's 13, so he's at an age where I can speak a little bit more frankly about stuff and just telling him, um, you know, setting all of that aside, like it was nowhere near as bad as anybody, you know, the descriptions that I'd heard about it. And I think, for a lot of people, and again, no tea, no shade to anybody who wants to express their opinions as they do, but I think the the want to describe um, our breakdowns of things technically removes the emotional aspect of how we experience the story in and of itself. And I think listening to um, the guys on Black Series Rebels when they were recording more uh, frequently about you know movie reviews and stuff like that not even just the star wars stuff knowing that all three of those guys know what it takes for a production to happen but still talk about the stories from an emotional side being able to distance themselves from it is like a really valuable way to kind of look at these things i remember um them talking about um everything everywhere all at once and how it was like in still like the like limited release stage. And by the time we had finally watched it at home, that movie, I don't know if you've seen it or not. That movie is so I haven't yet. Okay. No. I, I don't well, and again, I wouldn't do this just for anybody listening, but that movie is so bonkers. 
that like the the level of insanity that exists within that movie is unmatched in anything that I've seen in a very long time. But at its heart, the emotional side of what that story is is something that, much like Star Wars, presents almost a very black and white idea with more complicated elements to it. There's you know issues about family and parenting and growth and separation and all of these other things that are presented in this really, really wild and entertaining um, package. Like it's one of the most brilliant things that I've seen in a very long time. I don't watch a lot of movies just for time. If, we, if we're watching something, it's something that really has to grab our attention. Right. And, but again, I think about if I had, if I had complaints about the movie, let, I mean, let's just say I, like, I wasn't a fan of it. I adore this movie. It's one of the best things I've seen in a long time. But if oh. I didn't, I think my criticisms of it would be about, well, you know, it's like some scenes were just too busy. The CGI was over the top. The They relied too much on the technical aspect to tell the story. Like those kinds of things, that's not what the movie is. I mean, that's like on screen, yes, that's what you're absorbing. But I think if you allow yourself to look at what's underneath all of the glitz, all of the, um, some of the post-production stuff that happens, which has its value in the movie, it's a, it's a storytelling medium to use those things. But when you get down to brass tacks and you allow yourself to absorb emotionally, whatever the story is, whether it works or not, it just gives you that different perspective on what storytelling can be. And I know for my, for one of myself, for, for, for myself, Growing up, like I was an avid book reader. I still am to a certain degree, even though I read, I read more Star Wars books than anything. Um, but having that understanding of what story structure and the emotion of printed words on a page can elicit and setting that to the same kind of framework within movies, even though, again, as a completely separate medium, you're experiencing this these things now, sometimes almost 4D, like, and I don't mean that like with hyperbole, like literally you're getting splashed yeah. in the face if you go see Avatar. Um, or they're blasting wind in your face. You're getting a hot fart watching Top Gun Maverick, you know, (laughs) and you know, it, it's, it's a different kind of emotion because there's the immersion to it. That is in some ways, I don't want to say it's being forced on you because you have the choice to go see these things how you want, but it's almost telling you what to experience sometimes instead of just you're at home. I mean, you think about how we grew up with, you know, old tube TVs, watching Star Wars in, you know, a really terrible resolution on what, you know, like antenna TV could give you or on a VHS. And a lot of times not looking at the technical aspect of what it took to make these things and just getting behind the characters like Luke Han, Leia, Chewie, whoever, and feeling what they feel, hating what they hate, loving what they love, because that's what the story wants you to feel. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, and like I said, I think a lot of times when people talk about their movie going experiences, they want to talk more about the technical side of it, as opposed to what the story is actually telling them. Oh, and, and I, box office lose sight of that. has become oh, yeah. so out of control. It, I, uh, you know, I know we were talking about Larry Kazan before and there was an interview with him recently. It might, actually might've been, I think it was, um, Clayton Sandell was talking to him and Larry said to like, he talked about like the solo box off and he's like, that movie made $400 million. He's like, he's like back in the day when I was like, look at the box office. A lot of the movies I made, look at the box office for the big chill and stuff. He's like, people didn't care about box office back then. The movies made money. Maybe they didn't make a ton of money, but they were profitable and they made their money. But people still talk about those movies because they care about them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
this weird obsession. I don't know if it's like the Marvel thing or what. People need to know and obsess over box office. And like people were talking about, oh, the budget for Indiana Jones is $300 million. I'm like, who cares? I'm like, that movie's going to make its money. If it's profitable, it's profitable. It's not your money. You're not making the profits. Yeah, I get that they're shareholders. Fine. But it's like the average fan worrying about box office as like it's some sort of pissing contest to show that your movie's better than another movie is so ridiculous. And it's like when people talk about stuff like that, I'm like, you got to bring something else to the table, man. Because if that's what if that's what you hang your hat on when you're talking about movies, you're so way off base in terms of what like to me anyway is important about movies. And I am a very to each their own person. If the people's thing is movie finance, cool, but it's not usually the conversation I'm in for. So it's just hard for me to be like, especially when they get like so negative about it, worried about it. Like Solo was a bomb. I'm like. First of all, I don't think it was a bomb. Uh, it's Ron Howard's second highest grossing movie in his career. Yeah, uh, yeah, it didn't make a billion dollars, but we know why. We know all the reasons why. They cut the marketing budget because they had to do the extra filming and stuff like that. But it's like, do, do are, is my son, when he watches Solo in 10 years, going to know that the directors were fired and they refilmed it and that the movie only made, only made $392 million? No, he's not. He's going to be like, holy cow. That's that. That's the Kessel Run. That was awesome. I loved it. I love seeing Han and Chewie together, teamwork. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So this stuff, none of it matters to me. It's all about the story and what they're trying to tell us and us being entertained. Like Tom Cruise always says, however you think about Tom Cruise, he's like, when I sat in that seat in Anaheim to see Top Gun, he comes on the screen, his big face on the screen. We hope. You are entertained. We make these movies for you, and we hope you enjoy them. I'm like, thank day, yes, yes. Yep. And I was very entertained, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like your son the day he's going to go see Solo or watch it at home or what. Back, you know, in the future when we're projecting movies into just air and living in them, <laughs> right. um, however, whatever that's going to look like. In thinking about, first of all, putting the word only in front of 390 million dollars. I would like to only have $390 million in my bank account. If you want to, you and me both pal, you know what I mean? That's nothing to sneeze at. And I get, you know, the cost of the movie and everything, but I tried to help that movie make some money. I saw that movie three times in the theater. One of those being on an IMAX screen at Navy pier uh, with my son. Oh, that's awesome, dude. So here's the thing. My, my mother-in-law came down to Chicago for us. It was, um, I, I think it was, for for her birthday, she came down, was going to spend the weekend with us. And there was a Shakespeare production that was happening at Navy Pier on one of their stages. And so my wife, bless her heart. I love her very much. She's the apple of my eye. Um, she says, I know she you listened guys, to your podcast. Is that what's going uh, on here? No, but she might listen to this one. So you never know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she says, I, I know you guys aren't going to want to sit through whatever the Shakespeare thing was. So she was, I went ahead and I got you guys tickets to go see solo. We'll be at the same place, but you guys will be there and we'll be here. Wow. And I was like, she's okay, the one, cool. man. She's the yep, one, you know, absolutely. It. She's a keeper. And <laughs> um, yeah, 16 years and uh, she's a keeper. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we sat down and there was, this was what this would have been in June, you know, movie came out in May. So we had already, 
Um, it was a little bit of time since it was released. So that there was only maybe six people in that whole theater. And it wasn't assigned seating for the IMAX. It was kind of sit wherever you want. And I was like, we sat down thinking more people were going to show up. And I was like, no, we need to move back a couple of rows. There's nobody else yeah. here. So we moved. We had like those like center seats for solo and IMAX. Beautiful. And it was an experience to see it on, on that kind of screen, you know, and like going to see Rogue One last year, like the IMAX screen at our local theater, it was not the Navy Pier IMAX screen. It was right. much bigger. And yeah, I mean, we can talk about complaints about the color and it being dark and stuff like that. Like that exists, but it was still, we walked out of that. And I remember telling my wife, like, she was like, how was it? And I was like, babe, third time seeing this movie, like it's so much fun, you know, and to, <laughs> and to have like that, the IMAX experience with that kind of sound to hear the, uh, the Sumo Veramoth, I like, get like torn apart in IMAX, like 3d sound. Whew, there's not much like it. You know what I mean? No. In the movie making space And well, I mean, there's a lot, but I mean, to see it like in that kind of setting and then for me to turn around, like, well, how was your Shakespeare thing? And I guess like, it wasn't <laughs> like just for whatever the production was. I just, I, I, it, it sounds like it just wasn't great. I mean, it's Shakespeare. You, you know, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing, but it's like, however it was delivered, wasn't over the uh, top. Dude, I, I mean, I had to study Shakespeare in college cause I have an English degree and English lit and stuff. And, uh, I'm just going to go on record. Star Wars is way better than Shakespeare. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Direct all your letters to, uh, TRD. Yeah. At the, all, yeah all you Shakespeare purists, get your calligraphy <laughs> pens out and write your letters, your quill pens and, and fire them over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but I, again, looking at the origins of like film for us, knowing that like Star Wars is is kind of the, the beginning for a lot of that. And you having this other podcast, this other interest, you're right in saying that like it is good to have that palate cleanse, the palate cleanser. And I think it's also beneficial to not frame all of your understanding of things around the single thing. You know what I mean? Like right, if, Star, right. if Star Wars yeah. is your only input, um, which is fine. And there's lots of value there. Like you're it's for me, you're almost kind of losing the added perspective of not so much setting comparisons, but like uh, taking the lessons from a different thing, say like Ted Lasso and what that story offers mm -hmm. and then setting the, like how that kind of compares to a different kind of story like star Wars or like anything um, without that perspective, you may lose something in the thing that you're already involved in. So yeah. it's like when you like listening to authors and a lot of them do it, it's like, you know, how do you frame your stories or like, what is the impetus for your stories? Like what kind of advice can you give people? And the one thing I always hear from authors is read books. You know, you would think that authors do nothing but write their own things, but you can't, you almost can't put out anything without having that other creative input, you know, be yeah. that other stories or other inspiration. And I think it's good yeah. to have that with the star Wars lens, but you don't only have movies in general as a fallback fandom. You and I share a love of baseball. Right. Yeah, buddy. And I think that's the first time I've said the word baseball on this podcast since I've taken over. All right. We don't, we don't talk about <laughs> sports a lot on this show. Um, but uh, for anybody who doesn't know, as a Chicagoan, I am a dyed-in-the-wool Cubs fan. I'm a born-and-raised Southsider, 
And you can understand for people who know rivalries in baseball, why that could be problematic for a smaller kid like me growing up on the South side and being a Cubs fan. Uh, cause South side is, uh, it's all about Sox nation. Is that why you have the black and white Cubs hat as sort of a, let me, let me hide on the South side with my Cub fandom or no, I've, I've had plenty of blue Cubs hats. Um, but I just like the look <laughs> of the black one. I think it's, I think it's a pretty sexy look. Is it nasty? Does it get, is it really that nasty? Cause like Mets and Yankees fans like give each other a hard time, but I no, don't think it's ever like there's brutal. You know, I mean, I can think of like, you know, quoting, arguments that i've had with friends about you know baseball stuff about how oh Sox fans are real fans and cubs fans don't do this and like i'm like shut the fuck up i don't care about any of that you know what i mean like and it's that whole like like what you like you kind of thing like some of my best friends growing up and people that i've known throughout my life white Sox fans you know what yeah I mean? I've, same way yeah. and admittedly i've been to more white Sox games than i have cubs games um just accessibility games were cheaper yeah. I, my best friend growing up his dad was a big white Sox fan so we were going to games at the old comiskey a bunch when we were kids um it was a, a very scary building to be in because it was like literally falling apart before they built the cell oh, or geez. the new comiskey in, in like 91 or whatever year that was um but Wrigley Field was the first ballpark that I went to. I went to my first game when I was seven. That's saw the Cubs, yep, Cubs and Pirates, and something about just walking up the steps and seeing any baseball field, like a big league baseball diamond, uh, like it's one of those core memories that it's just yes. seared into my head. And Wrigley Field is a second home for me. It's the, the place where my wife and I had our first date. Um, and I'm using date in quotations because there were a bunch of us and we're just kind of hanging around. But that was kind of like the beginning of our relationship, uh, oh, June, cool. June 13th, 2007, if I'm estimating a date uh, for that as well. Um, You're quite the archivist. I know. I have a, I have a terrible memory for things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for you, uh, you, you said you grew up in New York. I think we said that before we started recording. You're now yep. in, in Connecticut. Yep. Um, and um, if your Twitter feed is any indication uh, you are very much a uh, you have you got pinstripes on your heart, my friend, yeah. as a Yankees fan. Yep. So yeah, let's get let's let's get into baseball a little bit as a fandom. Where does this start for you? I've already told you my origin story. Where does your Yankee love start? So my mom and her brother, my uncle Rob, were um, Yankees fans growing up because their dad, my grandfather, who's actually still alive, is uh, going to be ninety three this year. He was a diehard Brooklyn Dodgers fan, and they sort of rebelled and went to the Yankees side. And then when the Dodgers pieced out for L.A., my grandfather like was so pissed that he, he stopped being a Dodgers fan that he started liking um, both the – he didn't like the Giants. He liked when the Mets came about and the Yankees. Um, so growing up, I sort of liked both teams a bit, but then when I discovered Don Mattingly – I fell in love. The mustache, the eye black. He's a lefty. I'm a lefty. He did that crouch stance and would hit balls into the upper deck, even though he wasn't this big dude. Uh, first baseman, like all that stuff. I was like, dominantly love him. And then that, that sort of really pushed me towards the Yankees. Um, and then I've loved them ever since. Uh, and the Yankees stunk when I was a kid. They were not good. Like Don Mattingly was like carrying them through like the dark ages. You want so. to talk about loving a bad baseball team? I'm oh, I know Cubs you guys. Oh. I mean, come on. It's uh, yeah, t- 2016. Like finally graced you guys with 
with greatness. But uh, yeah, you you said yeah. I can't say anything to that. I'm just saying like I don't know what it's like being a, a suffering fan for for too long because then the mid '90s roll around, the Yankees put it together and they've been winning mm-hmm. ever since. Um, but yeah, I've it's just and your your view on Wrigley, which I went there in 2013. Man, I loved. I did the tour. Like I loved everything about Wrigley. It felt like I was in a time capsule. It was so cool to go there, and the whole Wrigleyville. I did the whole thing. It was so awesome. But the old Yankee Stadium, um, like it was cool because the new one is like you walk into each level and it's all open air, so you can see the field already. Mm-hmm. The 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 drama of the reveal when you walk through a tunnel and then get to the field is just a different experience. And I remember seeing, similar to yours, uh, the old Yankee Stadium and walking through and hearing the organ playing and hearing Bob Shepard's voice, or the god of baseball in terms mm. of like a voice, echoing through the stadium, uh, you know, seeing the planes flying over and all that stuff. Like that, just very time-capsuled moment for me as a kid in the 90s, uh, checking out Yan- old Yankee Stadium. And uh, I I just love, just fell in love with that team. And it's been uh, a just our family just rallies around it where we like talk about the Yankees and stuff like that. So I've been a diehard Yankees fan for a long time and I just love baseball. I still play slow pitch softball because I used to be a baseball player and it's really the only thing left for me to do is play like beer league softball. So that's another thing I do. Um, but I just love the game. I love everything about it. And, uh, I can watch a normal baseball game, whether it's, you know, not Yankees, I can watch, you know, pirates reds and just sit down and watch a baseball game. I love the art and cadence of a baseball game. I love that. Even though there's a pitch clock now, there's no clock to run out for the game. Mm. You got to get those outs. There's just something <clears throat> different about baseball that I love because the team's never out of it. So like Star Wars a little bit, you're never out of it. Even when, even when you think your back's against the wall, like the Rebels were attacking the Death Star. It's like, nope, you always got a shot in baseball. One of those things that I love about baseball, I think more than other sports, because every sport has it. You know, there's always your your Cinderella teams, you know, yeah. there's always yeah. that kind of stuff. But I remember talking to uh, one of my best friends who passed away last year, who was oh, sorry, same, same thing. Thank you. He was like 100% Sox fan, but he was a guy much the same. He was like, he was like my personal Bob Costas. Like this guy knew baseball like nobody I knew. <laughs> and right. every year coming into, you know, August or whatever, he would say, like, there's nothing like playoff baseball. The drama of playoff baseball is at another level. And, you know, football has their thing. Basketball has their thing. I don't know what it is about the dramatics of baseball that heightens the experience. You think about every kid fantasizes about the bottom of the ninth two outs, bases loaded, your team is down and they hit that grand slam. You know, they hit that walk-off homer to win. Every kid has that fantasy. The same way kids have like, you know, there's three seconds left on the clock and you got to make this three-pointer. It's still, that happens. You got to kick the field goal. Like those things are out there. But something about that baseball experience, about that one person standing at the plate with thousands of people collectively holding their breath you know, chomping on popcorn, slobbering down hot dogs, drinking shitty beer, whatever the case is. <laughs> and to hear descriptors of baseball, like the crack of the bat, something about that just lends so much drama to what the sport offers mm-hmm. uh, that it makes you feel like you're somehow part of it. That's why you hear people talk about, 
Yeah, our guys won today. Our guys lost today. Yeah, we I'm won. I'm not playing yeah. baseball. I didn't do a right. fucking thing except for be there to turn on the TV. Um, <sighs> and But you still get so entrenched in it. And I think a lot of that experience too is that, you know, walking up that tunnel, up those steps, seeing the thing. It's almost like, you know, being birthed into baseball. You know what I mean? Like you're coming into this birth canal of a tunnel and yeah, seeing like this that. whole new like life. Um, yeah. And for Wrigley... And I'm sure it's the same thing at every ballpark. Like I can think about some of the some of the evening games that we've gone to as the sun is setting because the sun sets behind you at Wrigley. And you've got the lake on the other side. So there's no really tall buildings over there. And to see like when the sky gets that like kind of orange purple yep. sunset before as the lights are coming on over Wrigley. Um, there's nothing like it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I yeah. and I and I love it. Like I don't follow baseball as much as I as I did at one time. And, I, and admittedly, I haven't watched a lot of Cubs games over the last couple seasons, just with time and scheduling, things like that. And the way TV works now, because it's all on, you know, different streaming oh, services geez. or whatever. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but when we have the opportunity to go to games, we try to go. I've been to a couple of Tigers games since we moved up here in Michigan. And I don't care if it's not my team playing. There's still yeah. something about that open air, you know, hanging out with some buddies or whatever, drinking a beer. Whether yeah. you're pay, whether you're 100 paying attention to the game or not, when the big moments happen and you can say that you're there for it, even when you're at home, you know, I mean, I'm sure you can place where you were when specific moments have happened with the Yankees. Like oh, let's talk, yeah. let's talk about this past season. Mm-hmm. Aaron Judge hits his 438th home run of the season. Where were you? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was watching uh, just uh, on my couch, and I was making sure like. I was like, Kathleen, get in here. Judge is up, you know? And I know people say like, well, it was only the American League record. I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, I don't, don't get me started on like the steroid users. But yeah. uh, I remember I was exactly where on my couch I was sitting when he hit it. It was against Toronto. It was in Toronto. And um, he had gone for a, through a cold spell and people were wondering when it was going to happen because he had plenty of games left to do it. But people were like upset I wasn't at home and all that stuff. And I remember watching that very vividly, whereas, you know, there might be um, I'll probably remember that more than I remember, you know, one of the playoff games from this year. It's just like one of those things you got to see, you know, Aaron Judge hit uh, his 62nd home run and you got the Maris family there and all that stuff. It's just history. So just Mm -hmm. entrenched in like that's the thing about baseball. It's like the history of baseball is so treasured and like there's something very special about that. And that is generational, sort of like Star Wars, like you get you know, pass that stuff down to your kids. Um, and it's just like a very special thing that's for me very different. And watching a baseball game and like the cadence of a baseball game, yeah, there's not action on every play like football or basketball where they're running up and down the court or hockey or something like that. But there's like four or five moments during one baseball game where just something like, awesome happens whether it's a ball that gets hit down the line and ricochets and the guy's going for a triple and he just beats it out by a fingernail or it's a big strikeout in the ninth inning by a closer mm-hmm. against the number four hitter who is like batting 500 career against that guy or you're down by three and your team hits a grand slam to walk it off like there's always these these big big moments throughout a baseball game that ex- get accentuated because a lot of the game has this sort of tepid cadence to it and you're just waiting for something to pop and that's why i think playoff baseball is so big especially if you're watching the team you love 
every pitch you're like, oh God, you're just like, so it's so heavy, you know, I love it. Yeah. I, I think about the year that uh, my beloved Cubbies won the world series and what that playoff experience was like, because you're right. Every pitch was the potential to be some magical moment. And uh, luckily that was the year that things finally happened, but there's also the immense heartbreak that goes along with it oh. too. Um, I mean, people who follow baseball or know the Cubs, the, uh, the O three playoffs oh, um, yeah. was uh, one of the lowest moments of, uh, of my baseball loving life. Have you forgiven Steve Bartman? Yes, I have. And okay. you know what? And, and I remember even thinking, the night that I went to, like, I went, we, I was dating this girl. This was before I met my wife. This was a long, very long time. It was 20 fucking years ago. Holy shit. I, uh, I that's just nuts, that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I was dating this girl and we decided to go out to watch the game. She was not a baseball fan by any regards. And I was like, let's just go. So we found some little hole in the wall bar that was miles away from Wrigley Field. We might've been one of six or seven people. It was one of those bars that's like, it had like a liquor store attached to it. So it was like, it was the <laughs> neighbor, it was literally like the neighborhood more. place. Yeah. Um, and so uh, for anybody who doesn't know or follow baseball, uh, there was a fan interference play that happened with a guy named Steve Bartman who reached over. Uh, Moises Alou was playing on the outfield and uh, he got a hand on the ball. And at the time the Cubs were winning. And uh, I think it was like in the eighth inning when that happened or the ninth or seventh inning. Um and right after the call was made, um, they were playing the Marlins. Uh, the Marlins ended up scoring, I think, three runs on, on uh, what's his name? Mike, Miguel Cabrera hit a double or something like that, scored a couple of runs to, to end out the inning. And the, the realists, I mean, we told, people tend to forget about this. There were still two more innings that the Cubs could have yeah. come back, and yep. they didn't. Um, but the wind had been sucked out of their sails. And I remember that night being so mad and so upset and we went out to get something to eat afterwards and it was kind of late and just having one of those like really immature, but like breakdown moments of like, if he had only kept his fucking hands to himself, we would have been in the world. So it was like this whole thing. And it, you know, and it was like maybe within a year later was like, I don't, I listen, I'm not the guy on the field. I don't really care. And you know, the, the backlash that Steve Bartman got, I think he lives in Florida now. And the guy had to like disappear because he was getting, yeah, all the guy went through hell. yeah. Yeah. And I, and a big turnaround moment for me, and this was years later, was um, like Moises Alou uh, was really, really pissed afterwards. He was really vocal about yeah. the interference call and all of that uh, or how things didn't go the Cubs way. But then he had a turnaround and was like, I get it, the heat of the moment. And, you know, <laughs> f- f- fans are fans and people are excited and it's Cubs playoffs. And, you know, it's not a very common thing. And it's kind of like, yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I've I've made my peace with Barman, and that happened a long time ago. Because ultimately, it is still a game. But again, when you're in the moment and you're experiencing the drama of something like that, because the rest of the game was essentially hinged on that moment, because their momentum was was gone. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but so let's real quick. So I did have my one Cubs World Series moment, and I'm very happy with that. I woke up my son. We were watching the game together. I'm going to tell the story real briefly, and then I'm going to ask you a question. But so it's the ninth inning, playing in Cleveland. There's two outs. Cubs are up. My son was asleep. He fell asleep with his Cubs hat on. I woke him up to watch 
the final out of the game. Good. And my wife had the wherewithal to snap a selfie the moment the last pitch was being thrown. Oh, wow. And it's me. I'll send you the picture afterwards. Um, but it's me holding my son, like our cheeks are face to face. And we're like, I'm like, Oh my God. Like it's just like dread, fear, anticipation on my face. My son <laughs> is like barely awake. His hat's all crooked on his head. And there's my wife looking hot as hell. Just like, you know, taking the picture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, and, but it was the moment, you know what I mean? And then the game ends. Everybody's like, I, I mean, I'm sure I was crying. I know I cried when they made it into the playoffs during the other uh, championship series. And my son, he had a Cubs blanket. And he was like, dad, you can use my blanket to wipe away your tears. Um, was like, thanks, bud. I appreciate it. Um, and again, one of those moments that's just kind of seared as, as a fan of the thing, it's like, you know, going to see the force awakens for the first time. You never forget the emotions oh, of, yeah. of hearing the big no moments in these movies. Um, but can you remember like an earlier moment with your Yankees fandom, be it a world series thing or a big playoff moment from a, a, a day gone by. That's just kind of blown into your memory. There's a bunch because of those nineties teams into the early two thousands that just had these like historic runs and moments. But I remember the first big one was actually a series they lost, which was in 95 and it was Don Mattingly's last year. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, Shared those I, sideburns, know, Mattingly. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Simpsons. So um, I, you know, Don Mattingly was the first baseball player I loved. And it was his final year. And they, it was his first time making the playoffs. And he went off. And, you know, he had his bad back. And he just said, he, I know this is my last year, so I'm just going to go for it. I'm not going to guard my back. I'm going to take my big cuts again. And he did. And it was i don't know if the game was tied it was to take the lead or or something like that but uh i'll never forget the call it's one of my favorite baseball calls ever gary thorne was announcing the game and he said boy uh would this crowd go nuts and they want to get it if they can get a dinger out of mattingly and then the next pitch he socks it to the bleachers in right center and the announcer goes hang on to the roof goodbye home run don mattingly and the whole you see in the dugout there's a kid named Derek Jeter, a kid named Jorge Posada, who were there, but they weren't on the active roster, watching this guy hand the torch over, but saying, I'm not done yet. Yeah. And he hits this home run because he used to he used to hit like 35 home runs a year, and then he hurt his back. He hits this home run old school style in the playoffs, hits 400 that series, and the place goes nuts. And I remember watching it on TV, and the way that Yankee Stadium old Yankee stadium used to bounce and rock is just like on another level and seeing Mattingly do that was just like a hero moment for me. And they lost the series. So he didn't get to get a ring, but then that launched the the whole, that whole era. And then he hands the baton to Jeter and all those kids. And then they go on this run and watching them win the world series in 96. I'll never forget Um, the 2001 world series, uh, the, the nine 11 post nine 11 stuff, uh, where they hit those home runs to come back in games four and five. I'll never forget. I was in college piling on my friends and then the Aaron Boone home run in 2003 against the Red Sox. Oh yeah. Uh, knocked the wind out of me seeing that moment because it went to extra innings. And I even got to interview, not interview. I get to, I got to ask Mariano Rivera, the greatest relief pitcher of all time, the Yankee closer. He pitched three innings that game, and I asked him because I went to this event to take a photo with him, and it was like 13 years 
uh, from the night that that happened. And he had collapsed on the mound at the end of that game. Just like he was so like emotionally taxed. He ran to the mound and collapsed. And I asked him about that. And he's just like, I remember just having nothing left emotionally at the end of that game. And the fact that we won, I couldn't believe it and all that stuff. And you had this guy who had already won so many world series, uh, having that, that guttural, just natural human reaction. It's, it's just like, I don't know something about baseball and, and what it means to a lot of those players, even though they make all this money and they have all the success, it just means that much to them. And I just love seeing that, that human side of, of baseball. So, Th- those types of moments like I-, I feel like all the moments i brought up are like these emotional moments for these players and I-, I i think that's what i always resonate with is like seeing the the human version of them you know yeah i i mean again it's one of those things where you see your team celebrating or like suffering a defeat and you kind of feel it with them um yeah, and i know that's yeah. across the board for sports but we're talking about baseball right now um the last thing i kind of want to share as far as like something that mildly connects us with baseball is father's day. Hmm. I think it was either 2011 or 2012. If I remember the year correctly, uh, my wife got me tickets for the father's day game and, uh, got to see the Yankees play at Wrigley field. Oh, that's awesome. That was a treat. Uh, I remember, I think by standings for the year, uh, like the Cubs were not doing that well. So I know like, I think Jeter sat out the game, so I didn't get to see him play. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I want to say we left somewhere like in the seventh, cause we were getting blown out like nine to two at that point. Um, by the time we got home yet, I think they lost 11 to two, but, um, and that's one of those things that like you were talking about the history of the game. My son's first game at Wrigley field, um, Sunday home games at Wrigley field, kids get the run to bases and. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we went to his first game. It was uh, Easter Sunday when he was, I think either two or three, I think it was, I think he was two. Yeah. And so we went, we waited, we, we got on the field and I remember they don't walk you from like, you don't start from home you come up um, through one of the access tunnels by the, uh, by the first base dugout. Gotcha. You walk along a path on the grass. You don't actually walk on the grass and you start from first base. And I remember we got up there and I got like a little cordoned up section and there was like a, some kid usher that was there, a greenskeeper or something. He was really young. And I was like, Hey, um, he's only two. He's going to run straight out to center field. Can I just run with him to keep him where he <laughs> needs to go? And the guy was like, yeah, whatever. And um, so I got to run the bases at Wrigley Field with my son. And uh, it was really cool. And we got back to home. And uh, there's ushers there that are like off the field immediately. Like, get out of here. And I was like, screw you guys. And knelt down, took a real quick picture with my son. And I'm just like holding, I'm like propping him up because he's just like, what the hell's going on? Right. And so we snapped a re- and they were like yelling at us, like move it. Cause there were other did people. Did you take the picture with a selfie style? Or? No, my wife did. Uh, she didn't run. She didn't run with us. She waited by home and she Your snapped wife, a pic. You're like personal photographer. She is. She's my, yeah, she's my documentarian. She's everything. <laughs> uh, she deserves a raise. <laughs> God bless but, her. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So she, she snapped a picture. We're on the field. But I remember thinking as we were walking up, like Babe Ruth stood here. Yeah, you know right? what I mean? Just, just as any, the, the call, 
For anybody who knows baseball history, Babe Ruth's famous called home run happened at Wrigley Field. Yeah. And to have crossed the home, like that home plate, that's where he stood Crazy, right? making that call. Like to have that grasp on history in a moment was like, I just wanted to like grab handfuls of grass and take it home. I wanted to grab some Ivy off the wall and bring it up. Can't do any of that, but it was like right. so much history in that place. And then for us to only have to wait another couple of seasons for, for a world world series win, um, icing on the cake, man. And for my that's part, awesome, as much as I'd love to see them win again, if they never do, at least I got to see it one time and I got to experience that with, you know, a millions of other Cubs fans around the world. It was just a, a crazy, crazy moment. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to start to wrap up here. We've been talking for quite a while and I gave you a question last week. We've had some time to prep on this. I gave you uh, kind of a, a scenario that I want you to, uh, to come up with some names. So bridging star Wars and baseball. Hey, this is how crazy this conversation is. I forgot we were recording. Like we're just two bros talking about baseball here. We're having a good Um, time. Yeah, we're having a great time. So I asked John and maybe anybody listening, if you, if you watch baseball, maybe you can participate in this too and kind of give me your answers uh, on Twitter and stuff like that. When, once the episode goes up, but I asked John to come up with an opening day starting lineup um, for a star Wars baseball team. I want posi- I want batting number like positions. I want player positions on the field, um, and kind of reasoning for why we uh, pick the players that we did. Because I-, I came up with one too very quickly this morning before we recorded. But I think let's go. Let's do each. Let's go down our batting order one at a time. You'll give your number one. I'll give my number one, and we'll go okay. from there, and we'll see how we compare and contrast. So okay. go go ahead with your number one. Who's who's your leadoff man? All right, so leading off in center field is Ray Skywalker. Okay. And my reason my reason for that is that Ray's fast. Uh she can jump far, so she can probably ev- uh, evade tags if she's trying to steal bases. Uh and she has that Jedi patience so that she can probably, you know, walk a lot, get on base a lot, and you want your leadoff person getting on base a lot, you want them to be quick, you want them to be able to evade tags. Uh, and she is uh, a good leader, so good lead off. So I'm going with Ray leading off, playing center field. Very good. That's a solid choice. Now I I do want to preface with my for myself. I think I tried to stay away from force users, only because it, it, there's an unfair advantage. That's like uh, you know that that's like steroids for Star Wars baseball. You kind of you can't do that. <laughs> um, she's uh, she's going to make the Hall of Fame with an asterisk because she's a yeah, force right, user. Right. Um, well, she, yeah. So I wonder if like they can't use their force powers. Maybe then it'd be like PEDs. So maybe she can just be like her, like when she's like doing her running and training and she's not like using the force. Um, I think she could still do some damage on a diamond. That's a solid, solid uh, lead off, uh, lead off hitter right there in Ray. I went a completely different route, um, but <laughs> we have, we have a similar mindset. I was looking for somebody with speed. I was looking for somebody with good hands um, and um, somebody who, had a lot of learning to do to get to where he was as we've seen this character's growth. So starting off for me, my first baseman, Kazuta Ziono from Star Wars Resistance. All right. right. He's got some hot hands. We've seen him fumble some things, not drop a lot of stuff, fumble some things, but he's always making the catch. We see him doing lots of crazy running, even though it's cartoony and he's all over the place. He's got speed. He can evade those tags at first base like you were talking about. He might make the occasional head first dive for some comedy, 
but you know what? That's he's true. But he's going to get you there. He's he's my leadoff batter. Kazuda's Yono, number one right there. All right. Okay. All right. So who's your number two? All right. So I'd be remiss if I didn't have a Latin player in my baseball lineup because we all know okay. how good they are at baseball. Right. Uh, Cassian Andor batting second, playing left field. Okay. Um, I feel like because sometimes people f- sleep on the left fielders. They they think like they could take advantage of a left fielder, and I feel like that's how people treat Cassian in Star Wars. Sometimes they kind of forget about that guy, and then he gets you. So I think he'll throw people out without them thinking he would. Uh, I also think he'd be good at sacrificing himself as he did in Rogue One. So if he needed to bunt Ray over and take the out, he'll do that. So and uh, again, a good leader as well in the clubhouse. So I'm going Cassian Andor as my second hitter playing left field. That's a solid pick. And uh, spoilers, I did not pick Cassian anywhere on my team. Oh, um, interesting. I, yeah, I, you're I, a big I don't know why I didn't think about it. I was, I was you're thinking a stunt that, double and everything. So I know. I know. Um, yeah. He's uh, he's the he's the hitting coach. Let's just put him over in the, uh, in okay. the coaching. Right. He's, he's one of those. I guys. did pick a manager, so we can do that later, too. Okay. I, I didn't, but I'm, I'll try to think of one pretty quickly. So, okay. all right. So my number two batter playing second base and the captain of my team it's Han Solo. Oh, okay. Captain, I, I, like I, okay. I went with Han at second base because while he may not be the fastest player out there, he always finds himself at the right place at the right time. Very lucky when he needs to be, he's going to get that quick grab. He's got fast hands. We know he does, right? He can be the trickster who might be hiding out behind second base to get that pickoff from home or from the pitcher. You know what I mean? He's sneaky that way. He's right where he needs to be. Plus, he's the he's the older season player who uh, he's got all the experience. So that's why I made him the captain on my team. I like that. I like that. And I like the reasons behind it, too, because um, I may or may not have him in my lineup as well. Oh, OK. All right. All right. Yes. All right. Um, OK. So actually, I got to make sure I put him in my actual hitting order. Uh, let me do this. All right. One second. All right. So my next is. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What did I do? I'll figure it out. We'll get there. Uh, my next hitter is playing right field, and it is Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren and, and right. Okay. Yeah. So my my logic there is you want someone with a good arm in right field, and I feel like the way he threw his lightsaber in The Rise of Skywalker, he threw it fast, and he threw it far without much effort. So I feel like you do, you're not going to run on this guy. And he's also powerful. He's strong. And the way he like w- would swing his lightsaber, I feel like that's a guy who does damage at the plate. So he's, he's a, a run producer. He's a hacker. He's a hacker. He's a run yeah. producer. He'll strike out a lot and he'll get pissed and he'll smash some water coolers. But you need that fire on your team. So I'm going you know, Kylo Ren in right field batting third. That's good too because sometimes you look at a player like that who can hit the long ball, the way he swings his lightsaber when he's really angry in The Force Awakens, he knows how to put the ball down too. You know what I mean? He can get that sack hit to get a player across, especially as a third base or or like a third position batter. So good strategic play right there, Mr. Howie. All right, so my number three in left field, uh, for some of the same reasoning that you picked uh, Cassian, uh, I went with Finn, okay? Okay. Finn is unassuming out there. People think that they might get the drop on him. 
but I think he's quick on his feet. He's got good eyes and intuition. He's loud. So he can call out plays. He can call out things from left field that maybe, you know, he's not calling out signs or anything like that, but he's got good eyes on the field. He's uh, almost a co-captain in that way. So he can shout things out because he's just intuitive that way. And I also think at the plate, he's a good support guy. He's the guy that can lay down that bunt, right? He's got fast legs. That's he's true. a little bit of he's a little bit of a Rod Carew. You know what I mean? He can get there yeah. if he needs to, but he's willing to take the sacrifice and one for the team just to get your cleanup guy up next. I like that. Okay, good. I like that a lot. So um, batting cleanup, who you got? Batting cleanup. I so I always believe you put the, you know, at least going up through playing baseball in high school and stuff, the bet, the most talented person on the team was always the shortstop. So I have short, uh, starting at shortstop and cleaning up Anakin Skywalker. Um, multiple reasons. One, uh, supremely athletic, um, very talented. Uh, maybe a little bit of those A-Rod tendencies where he's insecure uh, and he's trying to prove himself. Um, I see a lot of similarities there. So, you know, A-Rod started as a shortstop. He was the best in baseball at one time. And also, Anakin, seeing him use both single-bladed lightsabers with each hand makes me think he could be a switch hitter, too, in my lineup. Yeah. So he could hit lefty and righty, uh, do some damage at the plate. So I'm going with uh, the chosen one, Anakin Skywalker, batting fourth and starting shortstop. That's a hell of a pick. <laughs> that is a hell of a pick. Uh, once again, uh, we I have did, an angry we, team. I think I know you guys, a lot of anger management. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so I went a completely different route and I went with, uh, my personal all-star from star Wars. One of my favorites, right? Uh, somebody a little bit unassuming. Cause like you said, you want your cleanup guy to be, he's your ace in the hole. Most yeah. of the time, he's the guy that you can rely on to, to get some, some bodies across them bags. Right. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I went with uh, my personal number one and uh, one of George Lucas's favorites um, in right field, batting cleanup. Are you ready? You're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. Mieber Gascon. Mieber Gascon oh, is my I cleanup guy, right? He's got the eye stalks. He's a little Pee Wee Reese for, yeah. uh, for some baseball historians. Yes. Um, honestly, he's got this small strike zone, but you know what? Outside of having a big mouth, he swings a big bat. All right. This is a guy that's got, like a, <laughs> he's got a 40 ouncer. He's, he's cracking these balls left and right. You know what big I mean? Big wad of tobacco in his lip. That's right. Um, he, um, again, good support guy, good hype guy. Oh, absolutely. Has put himself in positions much like the sunny day in the void of episode where he can drown out all the noise. Mm. You know what I mean? Where it's just like him and not even the pitcher. It's just him and the <laughs> ball coming at him and he's going to whack the shit out of that thing. He's going to be clearing bags and putting crooked numbers on the scoreboard. Mieber Gascon right field is my cleanup guy. Who cares about his, his, uh, his fielding skills. That's why he's in right. Okay. Right. He's just, right, he's just, right. he's just out there for, for a little while. Um, and, but, and uh, a great, yeah, he, and a great voice behind it. So that's the guy uh, that's the, that's, that's my cleanup guy right there. I like that. I like that. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Um, all right. Fifth for me, batting fifth, playing first base, Chewbacca. And the reason I, I'll explain a later pick will explain why this is, uh, why I put him here at first, but he's a big target. 
and you want mm-hmm. a big target at first base. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone's barreling down the line to try to intimidate him, you know he's not going to care. And if he needs to, he'll use a droid's arm and put his glove at the end of it. If he needs to grab like a, a bad throw and uh, do some scoops. You need that um, reach, yeah. And and Chewie can probably mash. You know, I've never seen him necessarily swing a bat, but I've seen him hit things with things and he does it well. So I'm going with Chewie in the five hole, protecting Anakin in the lineup, uh, playing first base. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I had a similar mindset to my number five with your Anakin shortstop. So my number five hitter is at shortstop and it is my number one guy. All right. It is the ace. All right. It's Cad Bane. I got Cad Bane at shortstop. He's, <laughs> he's thin. He's wiry. He's got a hell of a reach. He got those long fingers. So he's got a little bit of a bigger glove than the other guys, right? Yeah, and attitude. this is a guy with sharp, sharp eyesight, right? Quick, um, quick reaction time. So in the five hole, he's almost like your second leadoff guy, right? So he can get himself on base. And you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to run because he's got those rocket boosters on his boots and he's going to make his way to first, possibly second on a, on a long fly if he needs to. True. So I got pick. him, Cad Bane, in the five hole at shortstop. Right. And he, he adds he adds some spice to your clubhouse. You know, he does. A, Very colorful. Dude. Yeah. If you get, into a, you get into a team brawl, you know, he's going to be right in the mix. That's right. Uh, good pick. Good That's pick. right. That's right. Um, all right. Batting sixth for me at the hot corner at third base. Similar to your your reasons for using this character, I have Han Solo at third because I'm thinking Han is very reactive. He doesn't overthink. He's uh, instinctual in his decisions, and that's what you need at third base. You aren't always waiting for the ball to come to you. You are reacting to the ball. You're, the ball's playing you, and you need to react to it. And I feel like him and Chewie having a connection on the corners is key, too. Because Chewie will know Han's tendencies, where his throws go. They're always on the same page. And it's funny because me and my brother play uh, softball. I play first, he plays third, and we feel that way too. But I feel like Han and Chewie at the corners is there. And you got a guy who's very good at uh, instincts and um, reactions and that sort of thing. So I'm going with Han. And sometimes your third baseman can be a little kooky, a little uh, you know, out there. And I feel like Han's that way. So I'm going Han Solo, third base, batting sixth. I'm glad you said that last part because my number six batter is also my third baseman. All right. Right. Um, and the kookiness is kind of what drove me there. And Perfect. having the pair with, with Kaz at first, you know what I mean? Is um, finding somebody who can match Kaz's energy on the field, right? Who probably has a cannon for an arm that we haven't really seen, but again, hot hands, Maybe a little um, all over the place, but again, he's reliable. He's going to get you there. He's going to think on his feet. Um, people may not always understand in what his motivations are or how he expresses them, but at third base, I got Jar Jar Banks. I thought you were going to say Jar Jar. Okay. Yep. So he's all over the place. He's a little distracting to the guy that's on plate. Who might he might want to lay down that bunt on the third base line? You know what? Jar Jar is going to be there. He's going to scoop it up with a big ear flap. He's going to get yes. that thing down to first to Kaz with his wild arms and lights out. Lights out. Jar Jar Binks. Right. Super athletic too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he can cover a lot of ground with good. those big feet of his. 
That's a very good pick. I That's and right. I trust him handling a baseball better than a boomba. So absolutely, absolutely. All right, yeah. let's move on to number seven. Who you got? No, number seven, I have my pitcher is batting. Um, so starting pitcher, Luke Skywalker. Um, one, he's a lefty. Uh, two, he's very accurate. We saw him throw a rock and hit that control device that knocked out the rancor. We saw how accurate he was not using the device in, in firing to, sh- to blow up the Death Star. He's very precise. He's very accurate. Uh, he's very measured now that he's a Jedi Master, so the big moments won't get the best of him. And he's a Southpaw. Dealing. So I'm going with Luke Skywalker on the hill, batting seventh. That's a solid choice, my friend. <laughs> you got... The son right. of the chosen one out there. It's like Ken right. Griffey, Your Ken Griffey Jr. Playing out together there. Like, like the Griffies. Yeah, or the Alamars out there. Yeah, doing their yes. thing. Yeah. All right. So batting seventh for me, I've got my center fielder. And this is a person with, um, with great eyes, amazing skills, right? Natural leader can get the other two in the outfield. The goofballs I got in right and left with Mieber Gascon and, um, and Finn yucking it up out there. I got somebody who's going to keep them both in check. All right. Again, can fire a ball from center field, right? Knows how to handle themselves. Uh, my center fielder batting seventh, I've got Harrison Dula out there. Oh, okay. She's out there running things. She's out there running things. Captain of the outfield. Captain of the outfield. Keeping those boys in check. I like you know that. I mean, so yeah. And she and again, certainly would. Yes. At the plate in the seventh hole, Am I expecting a lot out of uh, my number seven hitter? Not necessarily, but she's going to be reliable in a pinch. I feel. Yeah. 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 Probably, probably not a lot of strikeouts, like maybe not a ton of power, but she'll make contact, put the ball in play. She's patient. So she's going to yeah. get a lot of walks in the seven hole. She's patient. Yeah. And again, doesn't let uh, pressure get to her often. Um, that's right. I like that. Yeah. That's a good. She's pick. got, she's also got uh, ghost cane and, Whispering in the ear, true too. some guy yes. something. So yeah, like angels go. in the outfield, Christopher Lloyd. There you go. There you go. Um, all right. So eighth, I'm going with my captain. Uh, he, you know, he's not the, you know, he's not in his prime anymore, but he still can deliver. Uh, so I got him over at second. He probably used to be a shortstop. Uh, got a little slower, so we're moving him to second. But he's the wisest person on the team, leading the team, sort of that old guard. Uh, so I'm going with Obi-Wan Kenobi at second base. Uh, and, and, you know, later in life, Obi-Wan, you know, probably middle between Ewan and Alec Guinness. So it's, he's sort of at the end of his run here, but he's still looking for a title, that kind of guy. And he's, he's, he's the captain cause he's been there for a long mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. Obi-Wan, uh, batting eighth. I feel like his patience at the plate to get, to try to get us to wrap around the lineup again is right where we need him to be. So we're going Obi-Wan batting eighth, playing second. I feel like somewhat aging Obi-Wan has a batting average hovering between 280, 290, right? Yeah, He's reliable, but his patience yeah. is there when earlier in his career, he was consistently a 310, 315 hitter. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of people listening that are like, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> think, um, think like Cal Ripken. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get you. All right. So my number eight is my catcher. Right, he's kind of like I envisioned that uh, that Tom Berenger in Major League kind of uh, grumpy, 
um, bad knees, bad knees, unstoppable at the plate though. Right. Okay. Nobody's getting past this guy. So I had to pick somebody special who might even look a little bit like Tom Berenger in the thing. Right. So I went with, uh, from the force awakens, I went with Grumgar from Maz's <laughs> castle. Right. I got a wall at, uh, in my catcher spot batting eight. He's not going to get on base ever. Right. No, he's the, he's the defensive guy. Maybe some hit by pitches. Cause he's so big. Exactly. That's the only, that's the only way he's going to get on base. So I went with Grumgar. He's the wall. That's I love uh, that. The unstoppable yeah. and he's got, force. He's got that couch in the clubhouse in the corner. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Big clubhouse guy. All right. So who's who's closing out your uh, your lineup here? And and did you pick a DH? Just wondering. I didn't. Luke Luke is okay. batting for his for himself. Um, I will give a nod to my relief pitcher Lando Calrissian because he always knows how to close things out, okay. uh, as we've okay. seen many times. Um, but my my ninth hitter at catcher. General Grievous, uh, multiple well, arms. I, nothing's anybody, getting past him. You guys, listen, friends, listening. You can't see this. I just threw up all four of my arms. Like, why the <laughs> hell didn't I pick Grievous? That's the most <laughs> obvious thing. I love it. Grievous behind the plate. General Grievous it. behind the dish. Um, he can call multiple signs while doing other things. Uh, he can probably throw a lot of runners out. He will stop wild pitches. Uh, I at this point I don't care what he's going to bring me at the plate. Anything he gives me at the plate is a bonus. He's pr- strictly there for a defensive perspective. Um, so we're going with General Grievous behind the dish, and he could probably call a good game. He's a, he's a clever dude. Grievous is that player. He's like the first ball player to wear a face guard off the helmet in baseball. It's just the eyes peeking up from under the. Well, he the needs visor. the chest protector too, for sure. Yeah. Just menacing, staring at you from uh, from the batter's right. box there. Yeah. It's the intimidator, Grievous. Yes. Right. Solid. All right. Well, you mentioned your relief pitcher, Lando, as a, a solid closer. I think that, that, that's a really, really, really wise choice. But Thank batting you. ninth in my opening day pitcher is Lando. Okay. All right. So he's the strong arm here. He's also... He knows how to play strategy. He knows a little bit of luck, right? He's the smooth talker. He's a hit with the fans, okay? He was that kid that uh, got brought up from the farm system, okay? Real young, like like out of high school, okay? Um, But I think much like your Obi-Wan, this is like the midway between Donald Glover and and Billy D. He's like just just getting into his Colt 45 sponsorship, at about this time. Um, he's a seasoned vet. He's been around for a couple of seasons. And um, the his strength as a pitcher is to fool the batter into thinking he's throwing one thing, but he's throwing another. I okay? like it. He's a good knuckleballer with a wicked split finger fastball. All right? He's, he's going to keep you on your toes. Watch out for the changeup. It might be in his mind before you've seen it coming. Okay? So he's got it up his sleeve, right? And he's the highest earner on my team because he knows how to negotiate a good contract. Oh, good points. So great points. That's my I starting I like that we lineup. both picked Lando as a pitcher. I like that. Yeah, I know. I, you know what? You know why? I figured you don't, at least historically, we don't look at, at pitchers as the best base runners. Um, I don't really picture Lando running anywhere. We saw him run a little bit in Empire. He's too smooth to run and get his cleats dirty. You know yeah, I mean? that's true. 
that's so, what I feel yeah. is going on with Lando. Um, that's a good I did, point. I did pick a DH. Um, and the reason why I did, I figured you being a Yankees fan and American League guy, you might have picked a DH. Me being a, a, a Cubs fan, I wouldn't have. But I picked a DH anyway, and I figured, who's a charismatic power hitter? Who's the guy that's going to go up there for a couple of plate appearances, doesn't have to do anything in the field, you know? but he can from time to time? Who's the guy that everybody likes? Who's the charmer for my team? And I went with Kit Fisto. He's the only force <laughs> user that I went with. So he's going to flash some nice lady a smile from the plate, little wink, yep. little twinkle, bing. He's got the and, long hair. Yep. He's got the dreads for baseball. Yeah. Yep. That's a, he, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, it makes me think of like Manny Ramirez. 100%. That's where I was at with that. That's awesome. Yeah. He, his, his, yeah, his, his uniform might be a little disheveled. I like he's it. Got, he's got an accent. He does. You know, he's a hit. Yeah. He's a hit with the kids love him. The other players' <laughs> wives might like him a little too much. We don't know. <laughs> Some speculation going on there. The tabloids are picking up on. Right. Um, yep. but that that we'll was my DH. From the rest of the team. I like that. Yeah. Um, and my manager, I, I went with Qui-Gon. Um, he's, he's wise, obviously, but also like he'll, he'll get into some gamesmanship and he'll try to do what he can to get an edge on the other team. Cause we know like Qui-Gon sometimes likes to bend the rules a little bit from the Jedi perspective. So I think he'll, he won't break any of the rules in baseball. He won't pull an Astros, but he'll do things to get under the other team's skin a little bit and try to play the hello head games. So I got Qui-Gon, uh, as my skip. That's a good choice. And again, since I, I didn't pick a manager, uh, let's see if I can pick one on the fly here. And I think like Qui-Gon would give a hell of a pep talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like before a game, it's like the last game of the playoffs or the World <laughs> Series. And he's just there. He's got a calm, level head telling everybody to live in the moment, feel their emotions, but don't let them guide you. Right. It's you up there, not your heart all the time. Feel, um, don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can I can see all of that. But if I had to pick a manager for my team, hmm. Real quickly off the top of my head here, I'm gonna go with okay, I got one. I got one. What do you, you got, got the gr- the gruff veteran? He's not playing for a little while, he was a player manager. Okay, but now he's <laughs> he's left the player part behind and he's just a manager now. Um and I got Luthan Rail. As the gruff, oh, oh, man, cigar, cigar chomping, oh. you know, yeah, he's the guy that's going to get you motivated. He's get, he's the guy with the best motivational speeches. You know what I mean? He's got like a decanter in his office. Hundred percent. Yeah, Luthen I Rail love is it. My skipper, Luthen Rail. That's a great pick for that skip. Good. And job. I can and I can see him <clears throat> with like bad knees and Qui Gon with bad knees running. In the beginning of the game, to the, like the slow bad knee run to like shake right. hands with the other manager, and yeah, then the, uh, the old the, man run, yes, the little trot that they do from yeah. time to time. Um, yeah. Wow! All right, good stuff. Those are some stellar lineups, man. I, I like I, our I, teams. I feel like if they would, they would be facing off in the World Series or the wow. Galaxy Series or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the Galaxy Series, uh, long with Nuna Ball. That's more like football <laughs> and baseball, um, but. Um, yeah, on the fly, can you come up with a name for your team? Oh, wow. Um, uh, let's look at my roster and see here. Um, I will say my team is going to be called the 
Man, this is that's tough. No pressure. No pressure at all. I'm gonna I'm gonna call my team the man. I want to say it, but I don't want to say it. I'm gonna call my team the 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 swinging scoundrels. Okay. On the weekends, they uh, or in the off season, they have like a banjo band by the same name. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they have a, an accompanying soundtrack. I just feel like there's a lot of free swingers on this team. They're going to be up there taking their hacks and uh, a lot of two, a lot of attitude. Uh, so I think I think the swinging scoundrels and you have the alliteration there. It's marketable. I think that's what we're going to go with. How about you? Well, I, I think that's good. And it's it reminiscent of like the 85 Bears. Like every year, even though they don't make the playoffs, they have their own Super Bowl shuffle kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. They just put a song out for like charity. Exactly. They just put the thing out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick a name for myself, I want something that's like, you know, that good like animal sports name. Um, and I'm just going with like, my team is based from on Bespin. Okay, the air's a okay. little bit lighter. The ball carries. It's like the Denver uh, yeah, Star right. Wars, right? <laughs> a little mile high, and uh, so I've got the uh, I've got the Cloud City Wrath Tars. Oh, that's cool. I like that a lot. I like that yeah. better than mine. Yeah. So again, yeah. on the fly, there was no prep for the names of these things. They're probably uh, people are like, "You guys are stupid." Those are dumb names for teams, but <laughs> <laughs> they work for us. So. Well, hell, man, that was a lot of fun. And again, I for somebody who has never really talked about any kind of sports, I'm glad I got to do this with you and talk some baseball as um, ca- uh, catchers and pitchers are reporting right yeah. now. And uh, we're going to get into some minor league ball with everything else that's going on. I mean, think what we, all the stuff we didn't talk about that's coming up. I mean, Mando oh, yeah. starts in a couple of days. Celebration is only, what, five weeks away, something like that. I know you yep. guys are going to be there. You guys yeah. got a lot of stuff going on. And I'm glad... We got to do this before the insanity really, really took off on top of just other things that are happening with like last of us happening and Ted Lasso coming back for those fans and just spring is right around the corner. There's a lot happening and I'm I'm glad we got to do this. Um, And again, full, full circle moment, you know, coming from celebration Chicago, 2019 meeting you and James first and uh, being able to do this now is a a pretty, pretty wonderful thing for me. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, where they can find you online or listen to the resistance podcast. Uh, let everybody know where they can do that. Resistance broadcast. Um, yeah. So we are uh, two times a week, star Wars podcast on Mondays and Thursdays. We go live Thursdays and it hits patio patio audio apps Friday. Uh, but during the run of the Mandalorian, we'll be bringing back the Mando fan show on Wednesday nights. The Mando uh, fan show. As I've heard yeah, past, right. this past week. 830 East on our channel, youtube.com slash at the resistance broadcast. Uh, so yeah, we had started a new channel a few months ago. So we're trying to build that up. So if you dig what we do, subscribe to that channel. Um, and then yeah, twice a week for the pod, Mondays and Thursdays, uh, the resistance broadcast. Uh, and then on social media, you can find us at TRB podcasts uh, everywhere across social media. And again, all your audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, all those good ones. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty much covers the pod. And then my movie podcast, just like the movies, uh, is on all audio apps. Uh, we try to do one every two weeks. Uh, if you like movies from the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, and you want to hear two buddies uh, reflect on their experiences with those and and what we think about them today, check us out there. Just like the movies, 
And then me, I'm on Twitter, just usually saying silly shit at Johnny Hoey. Try not to take Twitter too seriously. I definitely don't take Star Wars Twitter too seriously. And I just try to have a good time on there because life's tough, man. And it's all about taking that silly stuff and remembering you're just there to have a, a good time. So, and, and Rick, I want to thank you for inviting me on. I sort of put a pitch out there, like asking people, I'd like to be on your pod before the craziness of spring and summer. Cause I have two kids actually signing up my son for T-ball. So mm. I'm excited about that. Um, and I had a lot of fun on, uh, on the pod. So I appreciate you having me on buddy. Absolutely, man. This is something that I've been kind of wanted to do for a little while to have you come on because I knew we could talk about other things besides Star Wars. And we did. Um, and it was a lot of did. fun. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I want to do like more baseball pods. And I know John Rocco wanted me to start a Yankees podcast, but I don't have time to do it. So maybe one day, I don't know. But I'm, I, I had a lot of fun, even though we were talking about fake baseball for, for most of it. I, uh, I had, a, I could, we could talk, I could talk about baseball forever. So I had a great time. I'm glad we like intertwined that. That was a cool idea. So thanks buddy. Yeah. I, I knew exactly we could do just this and, and, and riff on some, some fun stuff. Um, but to throw out a plug uh, for the resistance broadcast, uh, friends, uh, if you're so inclined, they do have a Patreon also, um, uh, thanks, that, buddy. um, that I've, that I've been a part of. Um, I'm not currently, but you know, I've been a part of it. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot Appreciate of wonderful it. people that are in there. And that found family aspect that you mentioned from uh, the celebration thing that you guys did, it's all there. It's all real. It's all genuine. Some of the best people in the fandom are in that space. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out uh, James Bainey and Lacey Gillerin also for what you three collectively bring to Star Wars. Um, I'm a fan, but more importantly, um, I'm a friend. And I'm glad we got to do Likewise. this together. Um, and maybe one day I'll get those other jokers on the show too, if they feel like they got some base. Um, Lacey, I'm sure she can talk hours about baseball. So one day it's going to oh, happen. Oh yeah. Well, James, James, well, you, they used to, but well, Lacey used to do, she used to manage like a, a high school or college, like basketball team. She was like the manager quote unquote. And so she mm-hmm. was like doing that stuff, but she's not really a big sports fan. James like used to make fun of me about sports and now he's this big soccer guy all of a sudden. I know so, what happened to him. It's I, not don't, the same I, James don't, I don't know, but yeah, shout out to the two of them. Uh, I know they're on Twitter at Lacey Gillard and at Myra trunks. Uh, my two co-hosts couldn't do TRV without them and I can't imagine doing it without them. So uh, thanks for giving them a shout out too, buddy. Absolutely. I think all three of you guys are great. And um, as uh, for me, you. Um, you can find me on all the socials at Cad Bane's bounty. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter and Hive at JTComlink and on Instagram at Jam Transmissions. Um, recently uh, and going forward, you can find myself and my son uh, doing quick shot previews for Broaxium, talking about some comics. Um, this week nice. coming, there's there's six new issues coming out. So uh, he's got one and then I got one. Um, you can check out Broaxium just about everywhere, uh, including on YouTube where those shorts come out. Um, and, uh, guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything regarding star Wars, or if you think uh, we both had some really stupid picks for our lineups, you can send me an email <laughs> at, uh, comlink, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com. I would love to hear what you guys think, what your takes are. Um, find old, uh, episodes of the show at jamtransmissions.com and currently on anchor, uh, where some of the more recent ones are. And uh, what I want to do kind of right at the tail end here, the last episode that I did, I touched on some kind of difficult topics with a friend who had passed away recently and how he was uh, very much a mentor to me outside from being a friend. And I did have some people reach out to me. I mentioned it um, in one of the Bad Batch recaps, but I want to put it on one of these too, that um, the folks that did reach out uh, was very much appreciated um, and to have some conversations um, with some people who also... 
uh, lost some people and kind of um, consoling together that way, not to bring it down, but just knowing that the, the connections that we make from star Wars are bigger than just star Wars. You know, um, this no is a thing that, that bridges us together, but again, we're all still real people with real lives. So on that note, uh, John, once again, thank you so much. I had a blast uh, chatting with you this time. Me too, man. Uh, for thank this you, Rick. I really appreciate it, buddy. Absolutely. And uh, for everybody else, friends out there listening, this was a marathon episode. Uh, thanks for sticking into the uh, the 11th inning with, uh, with us. And uh, I'm going to let you all go and just say, may the force be with you. See you.